Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and just put your finger there and hold it. Um, We are starting a three-week series on community, and we're doing that leading up to our Fountain City communities because we know that for many of you, if you're joining this church for the first time, you've probably seen some type of community taking place uh, in churches you've been involved with in the past, or maybe you're not from a church background and you don't understand um, what the big deal is about doing anything outside of Sunday gatherings. And so we really want to talk about that over the next three weeks. And we're going to do it under this header of community. Now, community simply means a group of people with common interests or a particular goal living in an area together. How many of you hear the word community everywhere you go right now? It is everywhere. It's kind of a byword in our culture and generation. Uh, And it's really appealing to millennials and Gen Zers, uh, particularly because they haven't experienced community. Um, I tend to talk to people who are my parents' age and my grandparents' age, and their concept, their idea of community was much more rooted in reality because they had lived in community. They knew what it was to live in connection with one another. Um, And generations now are so segmented, so divided, that you see this growing hunger, this increased appetite for something that is real and authentic for people to really gain relationship and get rooted in. Uh, It's kind of like an ache in our bones. And uh, I think it's funny. We create communities out of all sorts of things right now. Uh, And so if you haven't recognized that, like uh, there are real estate agents associations. Like we're building communities out of that. And there are people who for them, their favorite spot is Iron Bank. And there's some kind of Iron Bank community or there's some Midtown Coffee community. You can't just go buy a product anymore. You've joined a community and you didn't even know it. Um, there's also all these TV series fanatics, like there's more conversation around what shows you're watching and man, what that recent character did. And I can't believe that guy died. And oh my gosh, you know, can you believe more zombies, right? How many more zombie shows can we produce? Um, and so we create community out of all sorts of stuff. And I think at the heart of it is because people really aren't connected. People are kind of wandering around trying to figure out what it means to be in relationship with one another, living authentically. And this isn't unique to the world, man. It's unique. Uh, it's, it's inclusive even in the church. That even as people who are bound together by the blood and the DNA of Jesus, the Spirit of God, somehow still we walk in and oftentimes we sit very disconnected from one another. We have so much in common, and yet we come in on Sundays, and we do our worship thing, and I listen to a sermon, and I just check out and never really enter into relationship with other people. And we as Fountain City, and I believe as the body of Christ, would say that this is not God's intention. It was never God's intention for people to live isolated and alone. It was never God's intention for you to have to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus all by yourself. But God has actually called us to be a part of families. And so this morning, we're going to push into that, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. And one of the things that I think we will begin to recognize as we talk about community and as we specifically focus on family today is that for our generation, the levels of anxiety and depression and loneliness are through the roof, right? Like we have generations that are so isolated and surrounded with noise all the time who are drowning 
in anxiety and depression. And probably in this room, we aren't foreign to that. I remember I was leading a group of young adults in Atlanta one time in this small group, and I just asked them one night, how many of you struggle with anxiety and depression? And like 75, 85% of the hands went up. How many of you are medicated for anxiety and depression? 75, 85% of the hands went up. I would imagine if we asked the same question this morning, we would find the same kind of statistic. And I'm not, uh, what I am not wanting to say and what I don't want you to hear is that community is going to solve every issue you have. What I do want you to hear is that for some of us, we have tried to get to, um, to uproot anxiety and depression in a way that maybe God has already provided a means to do. And I believe that's through the beautiful economy of community. Um, And so our our goal really over the next three weeks is to talk about the power of Christian community as one of the key ways that God forms us as Christ followers. Uh, And we're going to focus on these three core identities that we're going to practice in our Fountain City communities. So I want you to repeat these after me, okay? We're going to practice family, Family. mission, Mission. and discipleship. Very simple. Uh, we really believe that God is asking us that we would practice being transformed as families of missionary disciples. Not that your primary identity would be, man, we, we come to Fountain City Church on Sundays. Fantastic. That's great. But what about the spiritual transformation that God has brought you into? What about the families that he's bringing you into? How are you growing as a disciple? Are you living this thing out on mission? Or is this just strictly about you consuming something on Sundays? And so I really believe God is going to speak to us over the next several weeks. And we're going to be using that term spiritual formation quite a bit. And so I want you to just get accustomed to it. It really just means the process or the practices by which a person uh, can grow in their spiritual and religious life. We believe that you can be saved, you can come to church every Sunday, and you can also just stand still and never really grow in Christ. And that seems to be a real problem. How many of you know the Spirit invites you into a partnership where He is transforming you from the inside out and He invites you to walk in transformational power from the outside in? And in fact, what you do is actually forming who you're becoming. And so if this is detached, if your experience with Christ in community or in a Sunday gathering is detached from how you live on Monday, there's a real problem. If this doesn't somehow interact with that, Something is devastatingly broken. And I believe that God wants to open our eyes to what it means to be spiritually formed in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Are you guys there? Yeah? Acts 2, 42. I'm going to read for you, and it should also be on the screen for you this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. Say that word, together. And they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So in Acts chapter 2, we see this incredible outpouring of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who've been walking with us the past several weeks, you were with us as we walked through the series on the Holy Spirit um, in the history of the Jewish people, in the history of the earth, and now at work in us. Uh, And when we see the Spirit come here in Acts chapter 2 in this dramatic outpouring, right? I mean, it has got all of the bells and whistles. Wind, uh, it's a raging wind, a violent raging wind begins to blow. Fire rests on the disciples' head. Like This is not like a Tuesday prayer service that I've been to. This is unique. God is pouring out his Spirit on all flesh. And when he comes, it's like this creative atom bomb goes off and everything is reshaped in a moment right? We see the disciples who weeks before were cowering in fear and running away from the Romans. Suddenly, they stand up with with power to proclaim the gospel in a different way. Suddenly, it's changed. Peter, who denies Jesus just weeks prior, suddenly stands up with boldness, a clarity of the scripture, and the authority to proclaim the word of God in power. And 3,000 people are added to their, their little cluster of people in a single day. Now, leading up to this, we're told that there were only about 120 people. You can imagine in our church on any given week, we have about 60 people right now. Uh, And so can you imagine just by percentage if next week you showed up and 1,500 people were here? Like what would happen? I literally would just say, go home. (laughs) Like we'll get your number. Maybe we'll call you. There's nothing we can do to help you today. If you have kids, especially, leave, leave now, because <laughs> there's no way that we can keep up with the demand that this is going to cause. What if today, what if the Holy Spirit was poured out all over our city? What if the dramatic, violent, raging wind of the Spirit filled this place and every church house in the city? What if it filled restaurants and gas stations? What if tongues of fire came to rest on people who were believers and suddenly the number of those who were following Jesus multiplied into thousands upon thousands upon thousands? In our city today, over 100,000 people still aren't attending church. They have no real access to gospel families. And yet we tend to say, man, our city is church but our city is drowning in churches and we don't have a lot of people who are actually following Jesus. What happens if the Spirit is poured out in that way in our city today? You know what would happen? Nothing. They would show up at churches. I don't mean to say they're not transformed. What I mean to say is the churches would not be prepared to do anything. Right? Churches would be, they would be dumbstruck. They would be brokenhearted at the fact that they don't have seats in the house or systems in place to really love and serve and to acclimate thousands upon thousands of people. And so the Holy Spirit does something incredibly wise. He takes this same group of 11, he takes this same group that the Spirit of God is being poured out on, and he begins to send them into houses. He begins to break them up into these places where what he's doing among the people can be sustained. You know, one of the most powerful things that we can ask ourselves is, God, if you had your perfect will in this place, would we be prepared to walk out what it means to be faithful to it? If you started to pour yourself out over East Highland, just this neighborhood around us, are we ready to respond to that need? Can we begin to love and serve the people who are around us adequately are we thinking in terms of the immeasurable more of God out of Ephesians chapter 3.20? He is the God who does immeasurably more than anything I can ask or imagine. 
Or am I just planning for what I know is like spiritual arithmetic? Maybe one person will get saved. Maybe two people will come to faith. What happens when God pours the Spirit out? And so the people here in Acts 2.42, they do this beautiful thing. They begin to meet in homes all over the place. And they devote themselves in four ways. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, or just spending time in loving communion with one another. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread. How many of you love to eat? Can I get a witness? That's right. We love to eat. Um, those of you who came to the encounter dinner the other night at our house, I've been eating Mexican food every day for like three or four days. It's not a good situation. Right? I've been breaking too much bread. Uh, and prayer. The, the body comes together. 3,000 people are stacking houses all over this community in Jerusalem suddenly. And what are they doing? They're talking about what God has spoken to his children. They're loving one another. One guy is like, man, my grass is growing too high. Oh, I got a lawnmower. Let's take care of that. They're fellowshipping. Man, I'm really discouraged. My kid won't quit crying. Um, We don't have enough money to pay the bills. Oh, let's take care of that. They start fellowshipping. They start breaking bread. They're eating meals together. Because how many of you know a dinner table says a lot about who's in and who's out in our culture and society? Primarily in other cultures, you see this. Man, when we were traveling back and forth to Turkey as missionaries, um, I would sit at tables, and the Turks were incredible about hospitality. Uh, They may hate my guts religiously or philosophically, but over food, we're best friends. They would bring you in, and they would feed you and feed you. They would try to kill you with food. It was amazing. Uh, Some of you have had some cross-cultural experiences like that. Food is a big deal in our culture because it breaks down walls and barriers between people. Suddenly, people who you wouldn't relate to in your neighborhood or your community, you can have them at your table, and you realize that in one of the most elemental, fundamental ways that you can share the gospel with somebody. You can tell them your story. You can talk about God's powerful forgiveness in your life over Mexican. Can I get an amen? Okay, I'm going to move on from Mexican. So what was unsustainable growth before out of Acts chapter 2, suddenly it becomes sustainable because of what the Spirit does through people. People whose hearts and lives were surrendered to his gospel. And he uses something familiar to all of us to make it work. He establishes families. Say families. So families in Acts chapter 2 become these containers for the movement of the Spirit. They become this way that the Spirit of God can actually take what He's doing in your life, Laura, and like 50 other people, and suddenly He breaks them into sustainable groups of people who can love each other, who can serve each other, and who can begin to see His kingdom flourish in smaller ways. Um, We've had this fun experiment going with Fountain City. When we started in our house, we just had like 20 adults and 10 kids, And then we started to bump that up to a launch team, and that became like 35 adults and 20 kids. Uh, So our kids started to outnumber us. And then from there, we started to host a gathering, and that became 60 adults and 30 kids. And in that time frame, we had this chat in GroupMe, which started as a blessing and now is something like a a demonic curse, okay? Uh, Because what happens when 40 people comment on one thing is sheer chaos. You guys who are a part of that, you know what I'm talking about. We send out one message, hey, here's a prayer need, and there's a thousand people who say, praying for you, praying for you, praying for you. And then I'm like, I can't remember what I was supposed to be praying for because all I, all I see is that. And you know what I'm saying? And I have 
I have reflected on the fact that it's actually becomes really unsustainable to have 40 people trying to all take care of each other's needs. God likes to break it into portions that we can handle. And so he begins to move in families. Family was God's intention all along. God has always used family as his means to spread the kingdom. And we see this beautifully in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You know, it's no mistake that God reveals himself as what? Father. And Jesus as the Son. And you and I as children. Like that we are all included in these really familial terms. God is trying to get this message through to us. That when you are saved, you are not saved into an individualistic thing where it's just you and Jesus. That's our American version of the gospel. You know, God so loved you that he came to save you. Problematically, God so loved the world that he came to save all of us. And he's calling people to himself in that way. God isn't saving us into a program. He's not saving us into a a system. He calls us and saves us into family. And it's beautiful. And for many of you in this room this morning, I would dare to say that you probably aren't experiencing the fruit and the abundance that comes with family. You probably have found yourself like me, if you're an, I'm an introvert by nature, like the way that my process works on Sunday is I'm going to do this and then emotionally I'm just going to be completely taxed for the rest of the day. Do I have any other introverts in the room? Like you're going to go hook into some wall for a little bit and just like recharge and watch the battery thing increase. Anybody else like that? I feel like that. I'm like, I I can do this for a couple of hours and then I'm going to go blackout somewhere, you know, and just pray that God gives me strength again. Yeah, a lot of us, we're not really taking advantage of the beauty, the strength of family and community. Family is the key way that we understand what covenant relationships look like in Christ. Family is how God explains um, covenant relationships. Now, for the Jews, they didn't grow up using this kind of familial language. They had a very uh, structured religious pattern. They had rabbis, which were teachers, and they had disciples, which were the followers of those teachers. And so you can imagine today if we were in... um, ancient Near East culture, and I was a rabbi, you would be disciples who were following the tutelage, and you're essentially saying, we believe that his perspective on who God is and on the scriptures is the right perspective, or it's the one that we want to grow into, and so we're going to do everything to follow this guy. But problematically, after the book of Acts happened, Jews started doing this crazy thing. They started sharing their faith with Gentiles, right? Insane. They, they came to the determination that God wasn't just saving the people who were in, that he was saving everybody. And that through that, they were going to use the proclamation of the gospel, both in the insider circles of the Jews and the outsider circles of the Gentiles, who before they wouldn't even interact with. They were looked at as dogs. And suddenly, uh, these second generation disciples started to like go out to Antioch and they started to see this burst of kingdom community. Gentiles wanted to come to Jesus. Gentiles wanted to surrender their lives to Christ. And suddenly this rabbi disciple language didn't fit anymore. It would be like if this morning I just started to refer to myself as rabbi and you as disciples. That would be really sketchy first off. But second off, it wouldn't make any sense to us. It wouldn't just be creepy. It wouldn't make any sense. And so we see that they start to adopt a different way to refer to people. No longer uh, is Steve called a disciple. He's actually called a brother. 
So Paul starts to assign these titles. And so for those of you who are in this morning and you are in fellowship with Christ, you're in relationship with Jesus, um, the word that the Apostle Paul starts to use for Gentile believers who are following Jesus is this word Adelphos. Say Adelphos. Nice. That's where we get Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. This is Adelphos. This is brotherly affection. And he begins to say that you guys are brothers and sisters. You're brethren. Suddenly... You are family. Before, maybe you were just disciples who were following a rabbi. Now, because of your relationship with Christ, it's not just you and Jesus, but suddenly the way that Nick follows Jesus makes him intimately connected to Ryan, who doesn't, he doesn't even know probably, right behind him. Somehow you guys are brothers in Christ. Somehow the people who are on the other side of the ocean who may look, look completely different from you Indian and African and Asian, if they call on the name of Jesus, if they, are, if they have been, um, uh, become a resident of the Spirit, then suddenly they're as much my family as my blood relatives, maybe even more, okay? And this is one of the challenges of the gospel, that God is creating family out of people you don't know because he's bringing us all under the authority of Jesus, You are more closely related to the people to the left and right of you than you are to your blood relatives because of the person of Jesus. And I'm not talking about like DNA, like, you know, you don't suddenly get brand new DNA, okay? You're like, wait a second, that pastor said we were more closely related. And I know Sarah and I look a lot alike, but our DNA is very different from one another, strange. Um, Yeah, he calls us family. I'm sorry, if you're new, I'm awkward, it's fun. Buckle up. Um, in fact, this word Adelphos, or brothers, is used 495 times in 120 verses. That ought to tell us this is important. Paul's trying to get something through to us, that your faith is intricately connected to the people around you who are also following Jesus. You can't do this on your own. You weren't meant to. You know, a couple years back, we were coming out of this season of pastoring. I was in the season of missions where suddenly I didn't have to pastor people. It was very restful, you know. I I became more introverted, I think, than I ever have. And as I was in that season, I started to realize really quickly that I actually didn't have any authentic community. Because suddenly, not being a pastor, I realized that all of my relationships had been formed off of people seeing me as a pastor. And suddenly, when that went away, I didn't have anybody. And God really started to show me how broken that was. That I was isolated all along, I just didn't know it. And there was a real sadness in my heart because I realized that the depth, the quality of what God was doing in me was hampered by the fact that I was by myself. He hadn't called me to that. He calls me brother, which means there are other people in this equation. There are other siblings. He's called me into something that's moving and alive, and it's, it's family. And I think that this is incredibly important because... Not only is it vital for you to be in relationship with other Christ followers, but we live in the South where cultural Christianity is still king. Where churches are filled on Sunday with people who don't follow Jesus. We go to church because it's what you're supposed to do, because mama will be ticked if you don't, right? And I get it. Like, my mom would have slapped me sideways if I hadn't gone to church when I was a kid. She slapped me sideways a lot of times when I did go to church. And she's not here today, so I can say that out loud. Um... She used to come down from, you know, the, the choir loft wearing the garb and would just beat one of us and then go right back. It was like a lesson in judgment, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, we live in the South. Honestly, we have kind of a self-centered gospel often that really is about us and is about what Jesus can do for you and how he can make your life better. And guys, I mean, my life is better because of Jesus, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that by grace, through faith in Christ, that I have been saved and set free, that I have no right to boast because God took me when I was a worm and sinful and broken, and he has changed me. He is changing me, and he judges me on the basis of my completion into righteousness in Christ. Man, some of you today are still in process. When we sing those songs, you know, uh, what, what was that? I, because I can sing and dance. I'm always, like, impacted because I look around, and often we're like, you know, I can sing and dance, and everybody's standing still and looking like we, so your cat just got killed in the street, you know? But, like, we're singing about the God who saved you, and you don't have to live eternally separated from him. And somehow it doesn't click for us sometimes, you know? And I'm, I'm not much of a dancer, all right? It's bad. It's really bad. Um, but sometimes I do it just because I feel like my body, you know, needs to. Sometimes even in God's presence, I feel like I need to remind myself what he's done for me. What he's accomplished in me by his spirit, by the blood of Jesus. I don't know where I'm at on this page. I'm just wandering around right now. Um, The gospel that is laid out for us calls us into a family to love others sacrificially. The gospel calls us to consider others better than ourselves. It calls us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And for some of you this morning in my time with the Lord, I feel like what he is suggesting is that the very reason maybe you haven't grown, maybe the very reason that you feel like you've been stalemated in your relationship with Jesus is because you haven't devoted yourself to living with and loving the family of God. Maybe the very reason that you haven't taken steps forward in what Christ is doing in your life is because you're not understanding your identity in a family. You're still looking for satisfaction about it in the world, and God wants you to see that he has done something incredible in you, and he's bringing you into family to understand it. John Mark Comer is one of my, I just love him. He's a great teacher, and uh, he's got this great saying. He says, it's possible that you can't actually follow Jesus without also being in community. It's kind of shocking, right? That's not something we hear around here, at least. I think in areas that are post-religious, post-Christian, a lot of times they begin to sense the need for fellowship and for community more than we do in areas where we're chock full of churches and maybe don't have that same level of devotion. And so this morning, I just want to walk you through a couple of things that we experience in Kingdom Family, and then we're going to close. Does that sound good? You're like, yeah, we love that closing part. (laughs) What are some things that happen in Kingdom Family? What are some things that we begin to experience when we step into kingdom family? The first thing that we experience is covenant relationships. That phrase out of Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. That word devoted is strong language. They devoted themselves to each other. Family is God's response to half-hearted relationships. Every single person in this room this morning, if I asked you stories about people who have betray you or abandon you or wash their hands of you when things went sour or when a conflict came, I believe every one of us would have a story. Every one of us has those people in our lives who bailed out when things got hard because our culture is teaching us that when stuff gets difficult, we scrap that and we go get another, right? Everything is interchangeable, but God has this 
this thing that he breathes into us, and that is that in the kingdom of God, in family, we are to be in covenant relationships. And God's expectation is that we devote to one another, that we show each other mercy in the same way that he has shown us mercy. This is the kind of love that goes way farther than just transactional devotion. It's not if you, as long as you don't offend me or hurt my feelings, I'm with you. It is, I'm with you through the blood of Jesus, no matter what we go through. Now, this doesn't create space for abuse, okay? I want to say that out loud because sometimes we stamp mercy on things that we need to tell people they need to leave over, you know? There are times when we create systems where people can be abusive to one another, and we just say, well, you need to show me mercy because you're a Christian. No, if, if you're forcing people to show you mercy, that's called coercion and abuse. But when we get to choose that for each other, when we get to go beyond the extents of human mercy into God's mercy, when we stretch into a divine kind of love that loves out of the core of who God is, something beautiful happens. Um, there is something powerful. How many of you are married in the room? How many of you know that... Uh, they're called multiple things. If you fight, that a fight is really an invitation to intimacy. It's not an invitation for you to wash your hands of people and say, well, agree to disagree. See you later. Going to go watch my show. If you're doing that, I promise you, you're going to have some issues. And every one of us has probably done something like that at one time or another, where it was like, I'm not having this talk again. (laughs) Like, I'm going to go wash dishes. I love you. I hate you. We're going to make this up later. You know, whatever. We've probably all seen some part of that. But quarrels, conflicts are really an invitation for us to step closer to each other. Because suddenly you see each other's hearts exposed and you try to figure out where the connection point is. How many of you know in kingdom family, conflict is a part of it? If you've been in church for any length of time, I am sure that you have seen some kind of drama or conflict or weirdness arise between people. And for many of you, you may actually find yourself in the season where like you washed your hands of the church because you were so done with drama. And I got to tell you, that is appealing in moments. (laughs) It's like if I have to put up with anybody else fighting over stupid things or people who just can't seem to work things out, I'm going to lose it. And yet... The very thing that happens in physical families happens in spiritual families, where conflicts arise, where, where these opportunities for intimacy come our way. In fact, Paul seems to take a lot of time to try to help people understand that the way we grow in Christ is often through the very thing we're trying to avoid. A lot of times we are trying our hardest to stay out of conflict, and God says it's in conflict that you learn how to show mercy. It's in conflict that you actually learn how to resolve something with your brother that you don't want to. And how many of you know, if you've got brothers and sisters, there are things that come up that you just don't want to work through. And somehow God continues to invite us. Some of you got really loud on that one. Uh, God it continues to invite us into that space, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, listen to what he says. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Listen to those uniting words. One body, one Spirit, one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And sometimes in family we fight 
But we, as the body of Christ, stand in covenant relationship. It's covenant. That doesn't mean that things can't ever fall apart. It absolutely means that we do everything in our strength, in our nature, to fight for mercy and grace and love, right? And some of you are here this morning, and maybe you've got some drama or some grief with other people, whether it's in our community or maybe another community. I want to encourage you. None of us is exempt from this. We are not exempt. I, I used to tell young adults when I was pastoring them all the time that we don't ever confront um, a person if we are just going to wash our hands of them. That the invitation of God is that if we're going to have a confrontational conversation, that we're willing to progress the relationship. That I'm committing, I'm going to be in this thing. If I'm going to confront you, I'm sticking with you. You're not getting rid of me. What would it be like to form a community around this fact that we can have hard conversations when necessary and we can commit to the relationship and keep walking? It doesn't mean that there aren't uh, seasons where those things are interrupted or where boundaries come in, but gosh, man, the body of Christ needs a healthy dose of covenant of people who stick with it, stick together. Amen? So the first thing we, le- we learn is covenant relationship. The second is that we create a culture of grace and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've ever read that, that is like the marriage passage, right? You, just, you have like three to choose from. You're getting married. Here's three passages you can choose from. It's going to be really great. And everybody chooses 1 Corinthians 13. So oftentimes we don't think about the fact that Paul is talking to a church. He's talking to you and me. And he reads 1 Corinthians 13 over them. And he's talking to them in the midst of saying, you guys are incredibly charismatic. Now let's talk about what's most important and how to live it out. Because oftentimes, and frankly, you know, we're assembly of God. This is an assembly of God church, um, but we are people of the Spirit. We believe in a community formed by the Spirit. But how many of you know if our gifts of the Spirit start to trump our capacity to love each other, we are upside down. And Paul begins to address this, and he says that we want to create this culture of grace and love. Listen to the language in verse 4, that love is patient. I remember sitting in a group with Casey a couple years ago, and we were talking about the capacity to love. And we were saying that it's, it's important. Maybe you're very impatient. I'm impatient. That God starts the list of what love is with patience. <laughs> like, you can't even get to number two until you get to patience, Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Man, Lord, help us. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Listen to that. In kingdom family, the invitation is that we start to create a culture of grace and love. A place where God's spirit loves to dwell because this is the nature of Jesus. Man, if you were just to replace love with the name of Jesus, you see him clearly, don't you? This is him. This is who he is. This is his character and his goodness. And somehow when you and I start to fight for those kinds of relationships where we show each other grace, where when we're frustrated, man, I just fight for patience. I fight for kindness when I want to give a harsh word, where I I fight to put down pride and to pick up humility. And this is the kind of stuff that God loves to move into. 
where his spirit loves to reside. You know, one of the things that we're going to see very quickly when we start to launch Fountain City Communities, I love it. I love the awkward looks on people's faces for the first, like, month, you know, when they come together and they're trying to, like, figure each other out. The introverts are, like, sweating right now thinking about it. I get it. Anxiety through the roof. But I love it because there is something that happens when you just commit to being with people over time and you start to form those relationships where trust is in the concrete of it. You know, trust becomes the, the like primary commodity. I know, I mean, I've got some guys in this church who can say hard things to me because I trust them. Because they've been with me over time. I trust the quality and the content of their life. I trust the way that they live among me. Uh, or the way that they live among people and the way that they have shown me who they are. And I hope you have that in your life. I dare to say that some of you don't. And for some of you, you're transplants. You know, Christian and Hannah just here from Panama City. And for some of you, you've just moved here. Johnny, you guys, you just moved here. But how valuable it is to find community and people that you can trust. People that you know will have your back and you have theirs that you can lean on and depend on. God wants us to create these cultures of grace and love. Thirdly, what happens in these kingdom families? We start to meet each other's needs. You know, something that I just really am passionate about seeing happen is within these Fountain City communities, people who are so committed to one another that they actually start to meet each other's needs. Um... And I, I don't know about you, I, I'm bad at asking for help. Any other people who are bad at asking for help? They call that pride. It's in the list as well, right? Like, and I'm learning, like the Spirit's working on me. You know, he's softening me in that area. Um, but I have to tell you, man, something special happens when your heart starts to bind to other people. And you see the actual needs that they have, and you say, man, I, I can meet that. This, uh, there's an incredible book called Intercessor by Reese Howell. Have any of you read that? A really, really powerful book. In that book, he says something. Dana, you may recall it. He says, I endeavored in myself to never pray for God to meet someone's need if I could meet it myself. Shoot. I was reading that thinking, God, what is wrong with my heart? There's so many times where I'm like, yeah, God, please meet that financial need. And he's like, you can meet it. I can meet that through you. You know, God wants us to partner with one another, to be God's voice in their life, to be his response, his providence. And I think in those communities, what we find is these beautiful places where you start to meet each other's needs. And it's not always financial, right? Sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. You're just going through it. I see this a lot in young mothers when they're going through that insanely stressful season where a child is literally attached to you like a parasite, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not ugly. It's fine. Those of you who don't have kids are like, that was so ugly. I'm like, just wait. Uh, <laughs> but you see that in a really dramatic way where suddenly moms can connect with each other on what they really need. And sometimes it's just somebody to have adult conversation with or somebody to help them clean their house or somebody to bring a dinner when they're struggling. Nap time. Thank you, Jesus. Nap time's not a thing. Um, we start meeting each other's needs. Here's a really challenging thing that Western culture, we like to flush. We don't like this. Verse 44, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We love to contextualize the snot out of that passage because it means that we don't have any responsibility to do it. 
This is not exempt from our spirituality. You're not exempt. You and I are being called to a higher level of what it means to love people and to be called into family, to actually start meeting each other's needs. And it exacts things from us. It, it challenges us. It challenges what we have and how we'll sow it and how we'll use it. And I want to encourage you, over the next several weeks as we talk about community and we talk about family and mission and discipleship, I want to encourage you to see that one of the primary ways that God will form you into the person that he has called you to be is going to be through community. You will have all the right fights for him to form the character of God in. You will have all the incredible experiences of worshiping and praying with people who are going through hell and you're calling down heaven. You're going to be in all of these environments where there's consistency, where people who were strangers become your friends and your family over time. Will it challenge you? Yes. My gosh, yes. Family always challenges you. Will it benefit you beyond what words can say? And for some of you, if you're like me, I'm a pastor's kid, which means if I wasn't preaching, I would be in the back corner, you know, like in the darkest spot hiding. It is easy for me to understand people wanting to wash their hands and just kind of stay small and separate and isolated. Can I encourage you? You will drown in isolation. And God has called you into the safety and security of family. And it is available. Look around. There are people in this room who are hungry and thirsty for the presence and power of God. And people who are hungry for the authority of the scriptures and the authority of the spirit breathing over their lives. You have people that you can lean on. And if you don't trust that yet, start small. Just invite somebody to coffee. Today, if you don't have plans, say, will you go to lunch with me? Go to lunch with somebody. Just sit across the table and get to know them. Do that four and five and six times, and suddenly you have something that's getting rooted, something that's blossoming, and you have to feed it and grow it, right? Families fight to provide for each other. Families... um, form covenant relationships, and we live in culture and grace, or we create a culture of grace and love in all that we do. And so I want to encourage you guys today. For some of you, I have the distinct feeling that you've been burned really badly in community settings. And your heart, you put on a nice layer of armor to keep yourself safe from people. And I understand. And what God has continued to show me about that is that in seasons, We try to protect ourselves from pain from other people, but we can't grow if we keep that armor on. It either weights us down so that we can't actually ever take a step forward, or it gets too tight and it constricts any kind of growth. And so I want to encourage you today, I feel like the Lord wants you to begin shedding layers where you have said, man, I'm not going to invest in relationships. It's too painful when people burn me. It's too painful when people hurt me. If people can't get in, you can't get out. And God wants you to start to open those doors. And for others of you in here, um, you are just asking the question about what this even looks like. Maybe you're scared to death to just join other people because you're introverted. You don't have a lot of energy. Can I just invite you to be you in community? It's okay. We'll figure it out. There are lots of introverts in here, right? I just say that. There are lots of extroverts, too, where we just need to bring you down like 19 notches, you know, bouncing off the walls. I don't know anybody like that. Caleb? (laughs) He's shrinking. Okay. 
We've we got lots of people who with different personalities, different gift sets, different um, ways that you engage with people. Can I just encourage you? Step beyond it and strive to just be authentic, which doesn't mean you spew all over everybody, everything you're feeling all the time. It means you get to be you. You get to just, man, if you're quiet, be quiet. You don't have to accommodate everybody in the room. That's fine. But come as yourself and start to grow. Does that sound good? I want to do this. If you'll just stand to your feet, I want to pray over you. But I specifically want to pray for those who um, you have, you've shut off community from your heart because it's been so difficult in the past. Or maybe you had a wound that came out of community. Maybe you've had a pastor that's failed you or a leader. Or maybe it's been even your physical family. And you just shut off everything that was risky. And I believe today God wants to start to melt that. You know, there's this beautiful uh, description out of Ezekiel. He says he will take the heart of stone and he will give you a heart of flesh. And one of the cool works, the redemptive works of God, as he begins to soften your heart, he begins to change that thing. And so right now, would you just close your eyes? I want to ask you, if you're in the house today and for you, you're scared to death of stepping into community, but you want to try. If that's you, and you're just saying, man, I just really want to see God use community in my life, and I'm just committing to trying this, just taking a step into it. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Just, God, I want to do this. Nervous about it? Yep, yep. Several hands up. Thank you. Several of you. 